pop. Happens every week. So it's been a long, hot, and painful 40 years for the nation of Israel. But finally, the long-awaited day has arrived. The time has come to enter the promised land. As they gather together, the sun is setting, and as they look on to the horizon, they can see Canaan. They can see the promised land with their own eyes. And the excitement builds, the anticipation. It's come. The day is finally here. And so Moses, rumor has it among the camps that Moses isn't going with them. Moses is actually going to die. And they're going to be led on by Joshua. So Moses gathers them all together, the whole nation of Israel, and says, I've got a message for you guys. I've got a message for you. When you go into the promised land, there's life and there's death. There's blessing and there's curse. It is incumbent upon you that you choose life, that you obey the covenant. So he says in Deuteronomy, Listen to these words. Listen to these striking words. See, I set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. That's pretty striking. Would you agree? That's definitely drawing a line in the sand. And I guess there would have been sand in this desert, right? You know, that's definitely drawing a line, as it were, in the sand between life and death. And you know, in a similar vein, along similar lines, that's how this, exactly how the Sermon on the Mount ends. Jesus says there's two ways to live, life, death, Heaven, hell. False prophet, true prophet. Build your life on the sand, build your life on the rock. That's exactly how chapter seven wraps up for us in the Sermon on the Mount. Two kinds of paths, two kinds of prophets, and two kinds of foundations. Ultimately, two ways to live. With every one of these contrasts, Jesus draws a clear line in the sand and speaks in black and white terms. There's really a sense of urgency here, like Moses. Like Moses, the type of language Jesus uses to describe those who respond wrongly is catastrophic. Listen to the description of those who respond wrongly. Their end is destruction. They will be cut down and burned. 
They will be excluded from heaven and finally their house or life will collapse. Pretty heavy stuff, right? So I pray that you feel the weight of Jesus' words this morning as we look at two paths and two kinds of prophets. So that's where we're headed today. We're going to look at two paths and two types of prophets. Two ways to live, ultimately. So let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. For your glory and for Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. Now if you have your Bible sitting there on your lap, you might notice that this little section here of Matthew seven thirteen it starts off with a bang. It's a big whammy, right? There's a, there's a command right off, right out the gates, pun intended. Enter through. That's a command. You see that there? Enter by, enter through. This is a demand for action, a command for now. It's not enough to stand at a distance and admire the gate or give accolades to those who are entering this narrow gate. One must enter the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow. Notice the word there, narrow. Narrow has the idea of a super condensed space. Basically, the corridor would be difficult for even a small adult to fit through. You know, at our house, when we're cleaning up and kids often leave stuff under their beds or there's a toy behind the lounge, I'm too big to fit through there. So I say, Josiah, hey, bud, can you crawl back there and, you know, get that for daddy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on, dad. And he loves it, right? He gets to army crawl. Yeah, and can you, can you get daddy the remote control too while you're at it? You know. No. <laughs> and while you're at it, say, look, can you go grab, no, you know. No, but the idea of narrow here is... That, that, that's the idea, is it's, it's a tight space. That's what Jesus is talking about. In fact, in verse 14, when the narrow gate is spoken about again, it reads something like a question almost, but how narrow the gate is and how difficult the road is. Kind of like someone saying, oh, let me tell you. That's, got, that's, that's the language that's being communicated there. Now, if you keep following along with me in verse 13, you'll see the polar opposite of this narrowness, of this gate. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. This is the easy religious road that is packed with people who have all the external requirements and no internal transformation. Remember so much of what the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, 
be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then what does he do? He lists heart issues, right? Six of them. Do you recall that? Don't lust after a woman because you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Don't, when you're in your anger, don't, be, remember all those, those six things that he lists? And then he says, this practical righteousness works itself out in three types of ways. It's not just external. If it is just external, it is easy. It's easy to do because it's ultimately the bare minimum. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a math equation. Oh, well, you know, you know, you have heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. Well, I haven't technically, but I say to you that if anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery with her in his heart. You've heard that it was said, you know, do not be angry. But I say to anyone that hates his brother, you see the difference there? The narrowness, the narrow way, the narrow path is internal. The broad road is external. So we're still on the same theme here, aren't we? Now, try to use your imagination for a moment here. Just picture as Jesus is preaching. There's people listening to him. Most of them would have been Jewish. And they're outside. It's beautiful, by the way, if you go to Galilee. Big lake there. And Jesus is teaching. And many of the people, probably the majority of them, who would have been sitting there listening to Jesus, would have been Jewish. And so when Jesus, and they would have been familiar, this is not new verbiage here. When he says, enter through the narrow gate, and there's this comparison. You have a narrow way and a broad way. That's pretty common in Judaism, actually. If you look at, well, Moses, for one, choose life, choose death. But even if you look outside of the Bible to some of the rabbinic teachings, that's a very common theme. You have the, you have the broad road and you have the narrow road. So they would have heard that and said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're familiar with this. And, but it can't be, I mean, when he's talking about the broad road that leads to destruction, he's not talking about us. He's talking about the guy behind me kind of thing, right? It's like, you know, when someone says, oh man, you know, so glad the guy behind me is here in this sermon right now. <laughs> that, that's what's going on. They're, they're saying, yeah, that, that can't be us. They're, they're, when, when, sure, there's a broad road, but that's only for a couple, maybe there's a couple Jews, but yeah, look, that's only for the real bad rotten apples. That, that certainly won't be any of us, but hold on, hit the brakes, because that's not what, if you look at the words there, Jesus says, when he describes this broad road and that it's spacious, does he say, oh yeah, only a couple rat bags are going to be heading down that road, so don't worry about it. No, he says, there's heaps of people on this road. Many, do you see the word there? Many will be entering. Many are heading down this road. You know, this week... I had a chance to invite a couple different people to this church. I knew they probably wouldn't come. But hey, it's worth a try, right? I said, hey, I'd, I'd, I'd love for you to come check out our church. I'd love for you to come hear what we believe. And, you know, even if it, it, the preaching's lousy, but even if you think, you know, the people are nice, so maybe you'll stick around for that, right? And, and so I, I invite them. I say, hey, look, you know, uh, I'd love for you to come. And yeah, you know, it's this polite sort of rejection and, it's funny, it, it's funny, I kind of was telling this, I was sharing this with Dan, I almost feel like when I'm trying to share the gospel with people here that I don't know, 
friendship evangelism is good. And I also think you should just be trying to intentionally invite people and just say, hey, because you never know, like that person, you're not going to see, you may not be able, you can only build so many friendships. Okay. And you, and you, you may, the person in the, in the coffee house or the person at, you know, wherever, you, you might not, they, you don't even know what's going on in their life. Um, they could be suicidal for all you know. They could have had some tragic event happen in their life. All they need is someone to invite them to come here. They hear the gospel, they get saved. Or even if none of those things are true, they're still, if they're a sinner outside the grace of God, they need to hear the gospel and get saved. Okay, even if everything in their life is going well. And, and, and it's interesting, every time I invite someone, I almost feel like, um, like a loser guy that likes a girl that she's kindly rejecting him. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to go out on Saturday, but I've got to wash my hair, you know? And so it's just like, oh, no, but really, I, I'm, I'm great. And it's like, oh, I'm sure you are. Can we just be friends? I always feel this, this kind, polite rejection in Australia. And it actually, it kind of bothers me, to tell you the truth. But that's another sermon for another day. But I invited these people this week, this week. I invited a few different people, and I said, hey, look, I would love for you to come. I'd love for you to come. And yeah, you know, we're going back and forth. Oh, no, thanks. Blah, 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 blah. But and it was interesting. The two people specifically, no, three, actually. Three people that I invited. All in different locations on different days. They didn't know each other. This wasn't in one conversation. They all said exactly the same thing. When the conversation was ending, they said, oh, yeah, you know, hey, I feel like we're all on, we're all on different paths. With our, with our journey with God, you know? And eventually we'll all get there. We'll, we're all on different paths. And I, I, didn't, I didn't say this out loud, you know, but I wanted to say, no, no, no. Um, it's not that, you know, there's one religion over here and another religion over there and another religion over there and they're all leading to heaven. It was just ironic that I was studying this this week too and, and three different people said that. Because ultimately, I, I wanted to say this, ultimately, do you know that there's only two religions in the world? There's only two. One is man's system, and the other is God's. Really. There are those who think they are good enough, and those who know that they're not, and turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. That means there's only one choice because there are only two possibilities to choose from. You can say divine righteousness or human righteousness. Trusting in God, trusting in self. One is the religion of God's grace. The other is the religion of man's works. Years ago, I, I took a, a world religions class at uni. Really interesting. I encourage you to do that. Very, very interesting. But one, there was a common theme all the religions outside of Christianity, every single one of them, had things that you needed to do or accomplish in order to achieve nirvana or earn your ticket to heaven, basically. Every single one of them, be it Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, it didn't matter. Every single one had things that you needed to do or accomplish in order to earn your ticket to heaven. And that's exactly the type of road that Jesus is describing. It's broad, it's spacious, it's tolerant. Come, live your life. And people on this road 
are pretty carefree. They're pretty happy. Right? So really, friends, this is the crossroads, the narrow gate and the wide one, where each must decide what gate they will enter and what path they will walk down. Two gates, two ways, two destinations, two types of people, which means at the end of the day, there's only one way to eternal life. And the gate is narrow as. How narrow is the gate then? Well, it's as narrow as Jesus. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, declared in Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So how do you know then, for you guys, let's not just think about the people out there, for you guys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, how do you know that if you're on the narrow road then, how do you know you have been saved? You know because your life is in the process of being changed and your style of life is walking in the path of God's truth. It isn't enough to say, I was born in a Christian family. Or years ago, I, I prayed a prayer. I asked Jesus into my heart with all my mates at that camp and we cried. Or I've been coming to this church for the last 10 years. Or, you know, I've always, I've always believed in, in, in eternity and God and a higher power out there. I've always believed in that. You must enter through the narrow gate. Friend, what you need to know is that salvation is by faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus alone is always always proceeded, followed by repentance, a turning away from sin, a hatred for the things that God hates, a love for the things that God loves, a growth in holiness, a desire not to be like the world, not to be like the people that you see on TV, not to be like the majority of Christians today who are lukewarm and complacent in their faith and compare yourself by others, but to be like Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but through me. So you know you're on the path if your life is being changed as you're walking in obedience. Okay, not only is the gate narrow, but in verse 14, Jesus says that the path is hard and difficult. You see that there? Verse 14, if you follow along with me, see what I, what I mean by here? Verse 14, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Interesting. If you study the word small and narrow, you get the idea that, no, it's a very narrow gate. In fact, I want you to picture it. I, I was wondering, I didn't have a chance to ask this to Dan. Um, you guys use the phrase turnstile? 
Yeah, turnstile. Okay, so you, do you know what I'm talking about? If you go to a footy game or go to Dream World up in Queensland, uh, you have to walk through these metal things, right? And you have to push a, to hand, you, hand someone your ticket on the other side or whatever, and you push this little arm and you, and you pass through it. And when you do, you go through all alone, right? And the metal's really close to your arms and you have to push through. You, you can't go through a turnstile with your whole family. You can't go through a turnstile with all your friends. It might be kind of fun to try that, I suppose. But, but you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to fit. It, it only admits one at a time. In the same way, the same idea here, this passage, that's the way it is with a narrow gate. You don't come to the kingdom of Christ in groups. But the Jews believed, as they're listening on to Jesus, hey, you know what? We're, we're in the kingdom. We're all on the road together. We came through together based on our race, based on Jewish ancestry, based on our circumcision. We're all here together. Isn't this wonderful? And I say that because I think there are people in this room right now who think that they're on the right road to heaven because they got on this road when their family started attending Wyoming Church of Christ or when they started attending Wyoming Church of Christ. Hey, we're all in this church and the whole church got on this narrow path together, right? Listen to me. There are no groups coming through the turnstile, friends. You go through all alone. Salvation is individual. People have never been saved in pairs. Oh, sure, when one believes, it may influence another to believe, but everyone's salvation is exclusive and extremely personal. It admits only one at a time. You must enter the narrow gate. You must enter alone. Ask yourself, honestly, have you done that? When you stand before God one day, you're not going to be there with your mommy or your daddy or your best mate who loved Jesus. You're going to stand before God one day by yourself. Are you ready for that? Do you know the Lord? Have you entered through the narrow gate? Or is your faith just simply vicariously lived out through mommy and daddy, through your friends, or through maybe this church in some kind of collective way? But you do not know God. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, you want to be a Christian? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What is a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? So there are two kinds of paths. Two kinds of paths. I pray friend, that you are on the right path. Look, the most loving thing I could do is tell you this truth. It would be very unloving and very irresponsible for me to just be smiley boy up here and tell a bunch of jokes and say, hey, we're all a bunch of Christians. We're all on the right path. I, I, 
I, I just know there's people in here that haven't closed with Christ yet. I know there's people here who are on the broad road to destruction. It just has to be. And I pray that there's not. But you don't have to continue on this road, friend. You can turn to Jesus. So two kinds of paths. It's pretty clear. And there's also two kinds of prophets, which is our next point. Two kinds of prophets. You see, false prophets mislead people into following them onto this broad road that leads to destruction. Their sights are set only on things which are seen externally rather than things that on the narrow path which are internal, as I was talking about earlier. And as the saying goes, misery loves company. So these false prophets want as many people on the broad road as they can humanly grab. Hence Jesus' words to us, beware, watch out in verse 15. Let's pick up in verse 15 of chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a bad, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus' warning here against false teachers is based on two realities. The first is that truth matters. Truth matters. He wouldn't be wasting his time telling you to be aware, be on guard against those who distort the truth if the truth itself didn't matter. If it didn't matter what we believed, then the Lord wouldn't have wasted his breath in warning us. Which, catch this, presupposes that there is an objective standard of truth whereby we can distinguish correct teaching from false teaching. Jesus makes it clear truth matters. What you believe can actually send you to hell. What you believe, believing rightly, in fact, is necessary in order to enter through the narrow gate. The second thing that is behind the Lord's warning here is that false prophets exist. So truth matters and false prophets, prophets exist. Jesus wouldn't be telling you about false prophets if that wasn't a real problem. It's amazing to me. Really, it's interesting. Have you noticed when you, when you read through the New Testament, have you, have you noticed how often false prophets are talked about, highlighted, warned against, Right? Very, very often, there's, the, there's this, even Paul, even in the book of Acts, he meets with the Ephesian elders as he's headed to Rome. One last time gathers the elders and he says, you know what, there's going to be wolves that rise among even here in this circle. His concern is 
a distortion of the truth. And if you see and you study church history, boom, right? When the apostles are off the scene, there's heresies left, right, and center. Jesus is warning us against false prophets. But it's interesting, though, the, the, the term there is really, it's really um, stark. It's like, you know, beware, you know, because they'll be burned, etc. They're leading people astray, and it's all this is heavy language. But yet, if we're to beware, how are we to recognize them when they're incognito? And in the passage here, they don't show up, Jesus, and say, hey, watch out when someone shows up in your church and they've got a sign that says false prophet. There's a neon sign that says, watch out for those conferences that you go to that they hire in false prophets. Because they're going to show up and they're going to say, I'm a false prophet. Is that what he says? No, beware, because they seem so legit. There's, a, there's, some, there's some little kernels of truth of what they're saying. Right? Sounds so good. And when they talk, man, does it draw a crowd. When they write a Christian book, boom, instant bestseller. And they're so nice and smiley and winsome. Yet on the inside... They do not know God and will not enter his kingdom. So Jesus says, beware, watch out, be on your guard. So how do we then spot a wolf? I mean, this is a big deal and we we need to do that. How do we do it? Well, verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. So when we ask how do we spot a wolf, it may be helpful to look for two things, two types of fruit, creed and character. Creed, what they profess, what they say, or what they don't say, and their character. So let's start with the first, creed or doctrine. We may distinguish the false prophet from the true by the theology he teaches. Does his teaching line up with the Bible? Does it accord with sound doctrine, which has been received and believed in the church down through the ages? Or does he claim to be revealing some new truth? The thing to remember here is this. When you're trying to watch out for a false prophet, is be cautious, listen carefully to what they say or what, listen, listen, what they say or what they don't say. Did you hear that? Be careful what they say or what they don't say because no matter how much effort is made, a wolf cannot go on sounding like a sheep. If I tried to put on an Aussie accent, I might fool you for a word or two, but eventually I'm going to default to my native American tongue because that's just the way I learned English. Even if I, someone trained me, like, oh, you got to, you know, talk this way. Did I? I might even fool you for maybe a sentence, but eventually I'm going to, you're, you're going to say, that, did, that didn't sound, you know, come on, that sounded so Yankee or whatever, right? So in the same way, when it comes to false prophets, 
you have to listen to what comes out of their mouths because eventually it'll give them away. Or eventually it'll give them away what they're not saying. In other words, what they're not saying, what the focus doesn't become is Jesus, his person, his work, his glory, his gospel. The focus becomes on us. The focus becomes on our desires. What makes us feel good? Hey, that, that, I like that. This is encouraging. And what will the, what will the preacher say? Oh, well, see, I'm just in, it's, I have the spiritual gift of edification. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Okay, yeah, he never really does mention sin, but that's okay. He never really does mention the need, the necessity to repent and place your faith in Jesus. But you know what? I guess his job is he's an encourager of the church. You see the danger there? What is this preacher selling you? A moralistic, therapeutic, sugar-coated gospel that's easy to accept, but powerless to save. A moralistic, therapeutic, sugar-coated gospel that's easy to accept, but powerless to save. Why? Because Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, the message, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. When you sugarcoat the gospel, you strip it of its power. You're getting people to sign up to something that's not even genuine, that's false. You see, the false prophets, it's interesting here, are, they may look legit, but they're literally, the word there is pseudo-prophet. You ever heard the word like, oh, that guy's like a pseudo-intellectual. He's a charlatan. He's a fake. That's what Jesus says there. It's literally, it's pseudo-prophets. They're fake prophets. They're charlatans. And a wolf disguises himself like a sheep to devour you, by the way. Grandma, what big eyes you have. Better to see you with, my dear. Grandma, Grandma, what big teeth you have. Better devour with you, my dear. You see, we need to be aware of those who sell us a bill of goods, as it were, that is not the gospel. And I don't care if it has the name Christian tagged to it. Wouldn't it be a lot more deceptive and a lot, I mean, wouldn't it be a lot, <laughs> wouldn't it be a lot, like I said, wouldn't it be way more insidious to pose as, hey, I'm a Christian pastor and I have a Christian church and this is a good thing and we were, uh, right? Take the same names, for instance. Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. Okay, I'm not going to go on a rant on them. I'm just saying, like, that sounds pretty legit. We are saints, hagios in Greek. We're with a, we're, that's who we are. And yeah, we're, we are latter day after Jesus and Church of Jesus Christ. And we are Church of Christ. That sounds pretty similar. Yeah, I'll, that, careful. The words may be there, but it's not the same thing. It looks legit, but it's not. Okay, now that's not me going, I'm not, you don't see me up here red faced going, the Mormons, rah, rah. But I am telling you, wolves in sheep's clothing. Not the same gospel. Gospel of works. And we can go on and on. But I think the more insidiousness is the church's 
that have this moralistic, therapeutic, sugar-coated gospel that aren't as obvious as the Mormons. Does that make sense? And it's like, yeah, it's a church. It's a church. And it's like, well, hold on. Is the gospel there? Is the preacher being clear on, or is the preacher omitting what the gospel is? Paul warns Timothy. He says, look, in 2 Timothy 4, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires. You hear that? Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn away from the truth and turn aside to myths. That's heavy for the time will come. I think we're seeing it now. I think it's obvious. So we watch for the doctrine doctrine that they preach. Truth matters. Truth matters. And we don't need to do it with a grizzled, angry face. Truth matters. What does truth matter? Well, because God has disclosed himself as truth. What does Jesus say? Sanctify them as he prays for us. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We know God and we know God because it's true and God has revealed himself to us and God is true. God is, his word is true truth, as Francis Schaeffer used to say. And I, I hope and I pray that this church doesn't bifurcate things in a way that's unfair. What do I mean by that? Often people say, oh, well, you know, we need to grow with our hearts and our heads. Hey, same thing, friend. You, you, you can't just, oh, I'm going to grow in my heart. Well, what are you growing in your heart in if you're not even tied to the word of God? It's the same. Don't say, don't bifurcate like, well, we got head knowledge and we got heart knowledge. You, you grow in your understanding of God and, as the, and the right reaction to that is praise be to God and you know him more now and you walk with him more in obedience now. It's not this bifurcation thing of like, well, you know, just come and let's get a lot of head knowledge and let's just leave it at that. Unfortunately, some people do that. But it's, it's what does Paul do when he reflects upon salvation in, in Ephesians? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with all spiritual blessings in Christ for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul is just, and, and he's one massive long run-on sentence in, in the Greek there, in, for, in Ephesians 1. He's bursting with excitement because you see God and you savor him and you know him and you're excited in him and you take joy in him. So, Doctrine matters. I think I beat that drum long enough. <laughs> Lastly is character. And this is important, character. How do we distinguish a false prophet? How do we know them by their fruits? Yes, doctrine. Yes, the creed they profess. But the second aspect of this is the test of fruit is, the, is their character. Does their teaching promote godliness or worldliness? Does it display a dismissive attitude towards sin? They laugh about the very things that God hates. They talk like the world. They party like the world. They love so much that's in the world 
Or does their life display a measure of godliness? Not perfect. Or measure of obedience to Christ. In this passage, Jesus' words about the fruit of the tree directly correlates to the condition of our lives. John Calvin once said, Nothing is more difficult than to counterfeit virtue. If it is not there, it will sooner or later show itself. It's so true. If the grace of the Holy Spirit is not operative in a person's life, sooner or later, that's going to show up. And when it does, and if it does, watch out, you might, have a, you might be talking to a wolf. Now, we may not think that it's very nice to call people heretics or wolves. And it's certainly not an enjoyable thing to do. And I don't think this passage or any is advocating for us to be heresy hunters. Nevertheless, it is still a warning to God's people that we must be on guard because there are two ways to live. There are two paths and there are two types of prophets out there. Now next week, we're going to look at two types of foundations. And there is a frightening passage that if you want to read ahead, you can, for next week, where people come, and it's interesting, there's many on the broad road, right? And many come on the end of the, the very judgment day and say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name, notice all external things? And Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And then he gives an illustration about different foundations and why that's critical. Hope you can be here. Lord willing, we will be here. Same bat, same bat place, same bat channel. So be here or be talked about. I'm kidding. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text that is very shocking and eye-opening. Lord, I pray that if there's any here that in a good way have been shaken by it, Lord, that they wouldn't focus on the messenger, on me, on things that are ways of postures or cadence of voice of things that I've said, Lord, but they'd hear your voice clearly and, and feel the weight of, of this text and that there are two ways to live. Lord, that we, we ask that you would save those that are here that are on the broad road. Would they be redirected to the gospel? Help us, Lord, not to be those who are heresy hunters, but also to be those are people that are smart and aware and on guard because we're people who love you and we love your word. And when, Lord, when there are false prophets, may we stand our ground and correct it with grace and with truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.